Welcome to this episode of the E&E Show. Let's talk about equipping and enabling believers worldwide to make disciples. Today, I've got Scott and Alex from the Missions Podcast on the show. Uh, Alex Kochman is the Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE and the writer for Message Magazine, and he happens to be a co-host of the Missions Podcast. Hey, Alex, your Twitter bio says that you uh, live in Pennsylvania with your wife and three carbon-based units. That's true. I do have three of them. Uh, We just had our third carbon-based unit. Um, He was born September 4th, so I'm just coming off of about a month off of work. So if I'm a little bit off my game today, that's why. But God's good. We're filling the quiver. Amen. Are you sleeping? No, Uh, (laughs) which is pretty (laughs) typical for me anyway. Uh, So this just plays to my typical routine. Yeah, no, we've... uh, we're having those sleepless nights, you know how that is, but uh, God is good and we're really grateful. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good to be here. All right. I've got five such organisms at my house as well and uh, sleep is, is kind of a come and go thing, but they're, they're a joy, a great joy. Scott, uh, you're the West Coast mobilizer for ABWE and the lead church planner for Redeemer Church out there in Fremont, California. It's very early for you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're the, also the co-host, or the other co-host, the other face of the Missions Podcast. And I've got to say, I just appreciate the creative name that you guys gave to the podcast. How did you come up with that? Well, you know, we, we thought about all sorts of, you know, interesting words. And, uh, you know, what, what, what could be more catchy than the most obvious thing? So, and I've never been one for creative names. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, we just called our youth group youth group. So I think that probably just goes along with uh, that creativity. It's bursting. (laughs) What's funny is that the name actually predated us, Scott and I both working at ABWE International, our headquarters here. Um, A different VP had tried to launch it under that name, didn't do anything with it. It was sitting there. It was reserved. We thought, hey, why not run with it? But the, the downside is Scott and I also love just talking about culture, theology, I mean, politics, everything. So one day we'll we'll start another show and we'll just call it the podcast and it'll be all <laughs> Take it up a notch. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the the, the clarity, the simplicity of it. It's, it's really easy to find. Yes, you. and that is a huge advantage for Google. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's not really better SEO than oh, Mission Podcast. How about The Missions Podcast? Right. It's the only one. <laughs> Hey, tell us a little bit about ABWE. ABWE is Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. I feel strongly that it's one of the best kept secrets in missions. I grew up 20 minutes down the road from our headquarters and didn't know that they existed up until about six years ago. And so I've kind of committed to changing that and making sure that's not the case. We've existed for about 94 years and we have about a thousand missionaries serving in 70 countries doing evangelism, discipleship and church planting. Awesome. Scott, what is your favorite thing about serving with ABWE? Well, you know, I think anyone who works in a mission agency would say the missionaries. And, uh, you know, certainly when you see the quality of the people that are on our fields, uh, the levels of training, their commitment, and then the work they're doing, you know, everything from running world-class hospitals in some of the least reached parts of the world, ministering to unreached people groups um, that, you know, without something you know, dramatic like medicine would not have be able to have access there all the way to, you know, um, men and women just doing the daily grind of evangelism and discipleship and communities and building relationships and seeing local churches planted. Um, you know, that is, you know, that is one of the exciting things for me. And then of course, like I, I think in this day and age, it's not too much to say, uh, 
a, a strong commitment to theology in the local church and sound uh, ecclesiology in our mission plants, and that I think is super important. And yet, it, it's something that's easily overlooked in missions. It seems like today. So I'm grateful for all those reasons uh, to be a part of ABWE. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, at, at IC, we're big believers in the local church. Uh, that's that's the bread and butter of our ministry, partnering with Amen. churches uh, to share the gospel, to, to equip and enable the believers in, in, in your everyday church. Uh, well, I say everyday church, you know, they look differently <laughs> Where, wherever you are, depending yeah. on the context. But I mean, you know, ordinary believers who are living their lives following Jesus. Uh, we want to we want to mobilize them to share the gospel because that's God's plan A for His mission. Uh, so when we talk about uh, evangelism, we talk about missions. I think when most people think about missions, certainly uh, even when a, a lot of Western churches think about missions, it can mean all sorts of different things. And so it can mean, uh, I mean, for your podcast, that's a good thing because that that title can 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 be pretty broad kind oh, yeah. of a broad range of topics but when when our churches think about missions it can mean you know a, a medical missions it can mean some of the things that you mentioned uh, hospitals it can mean building projects it can mean food relief and certainly all of those things are part of god's heart for the nations right that that's we see how jesus met needs the early church met needs mm-hmm. and we have evangelism uh and uh if you ask your average evangelist, which evangelists, but who are full-time are not average people at all, uh, have, usually have a, have a very extreme passion for sharing the gospel and focusing primarily on that, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. Our, our organization is focused on evangelism. And so many would say missions and evangelism are the same thing and if if it's missions it's part of the great commission specifically which means going teaching baptizing sharing the gospel uh what uh how much how much of that is true would you say are evangelism and missions the same thing i would say no um and we've had lots of debate about i think alex and i are in agreement on this i'll let alex chime in here as well um I think you see the Great Commission as like this, I don't want to say this catch-all, but it, but it is like the kind of the brackets within which we function, saying, yeah, wherever we're going, uh, there is a certainly a command to go, um, and the definition of what that needs to look like for every believer is there, and for the church in general um, is there. Um, but then you see how that's played out differently, even in the, in the book of Acts and then in the epistles, where you see... Um, Certainly, there is a certain kind of motivation that Paul has that he talks about in Romans, where he's viewing places where the gospel is not penetrated yet, uh, the places where no foundation has been laid, and he he feels a, a a striving ambition to see the gospel uh, advance there. So much so that he's able to look back at his work, even though not everyone's evangelized, and say, "I did my work in these cities, and I'm moving on." Um, but he also is challenging Timothy in one of those churches that he's already established at Ephesus and says, do the work of an evangelist. So I, while I think missions is not less than evangelism, it certainly contains evangelism. Um, to equate the two, I mean, I think you need to do evangelism in Nashville, Tennessee, or in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, you need to do evangelism with your neighbor who maybe even 
uh, you know, goes to First Baptist Church, you know, it, yeah, and it may not know the gospel. But it has. I think if we equate what's going on in Dallas at with your typical Baptist raised neighbor who's just kind of seems marginal about his commitment to the gospel with what's with unreached people groups and part of the world that have never heard the gospel. You say, there's just the same thing. We're going to lose that part of the great commission, which says, keep pushing those boundaries. Uh, Alex. I would totally agree with that. Um, two things that I would focus on and just reiterating that evangelism and missions aren't the same thing. Uh, missions is evangelism, but it's more than evangelism. Uh, it's much more than that. But one thing to focus on is that evangelism isn't just what happens outside of church walls. You have Paul in Romans chapter one says he wants to be of some uh, benefit and he wants to preach the gospel to the church in Rome. Uh, preaching the gospel to each other, to ourselves, as well as to our lost communities is something that's critical and that's essential. But in defining missions, obviously I would go to Matthew 28 and you see it's not just go into all the world and make converts. It's not just even go yeah. into all the world and be a witness. You have that in similar passages, Luke 24. But what you have is this holistic uh, making of disciples. And one of the problems that I have in how the passage is often used is when we in English use the phrase, make disciples of all nations, we tend to think, okay, we're going to pull a set of people out of the nations and make them into disciples. But it's meant in the sense of make, make disciples of the nations in terms of, okay, if I said I was going to make an example of you, I'm going to make you an example. I'm going to render you an example. That's what it means. It means that we are to disciple the nations themselves, disciple the nations, render the nations themselves disciples. And what does that entail? That holistic task. It's not just evangelism. It's also teaching them to obey all that I've commanded them. And the command to baptize is in there too. So you see the DNA of the local church, which means that it has to be established and not just proclaimed initially. So it starts with evangelism, but missions is much fuller than that. And I would go to Romans 15, just like, you know, just like Scott did and say that there needs to be the establishment of church communities and a push to see more of those churches established as beachheads of near neighbor evangelism uh, in places where Christ hasn't yet been preached. I think it's important that we keep those distinctions. Yeah, I love how you describe that. I, I appreciate that. Thanks for that. Um, when we see when we see growing Christward movements, you might call them uh, uh, maybe not even church planting movements intentionally, but Christward movements where the gospel is spreading among people groups. If there is if there is a, an average how does that usually happen how does that how is that usually expressed i think it looks very differently in diff, different in different places um and we're hearing stories around the world of how the gospel spreads sometimes it's through um you know uh someone you know a dynamic individual coming under deep conviction being sent up by his church and and pioneering in a way like we would kind of think of with john Patton or or William Carey. Um, sometimes it's it's simply you know, and I've seen this in in, some, in other areas of the world where you see, you know, a, ch a church that is dynamic and they're they're planting churches, and it's really hard to identify which is the individual uh, that's that's doing that. Um, other ways I think that we're seeing it is just through the the global uh, movements of peoples. Uh, through immigration and through some of the famine and refugee crises. I, a good friend of ours and of our show and mine personally, Darren Carlson, 
Uh, if you ever haven't seen Jesus in Athens, a uh, documentary that he did, it just shows like how all these people are coming from around the world in these really hard to reach place, places because of persecution. And they're ending up in Greece and uh, and the church is being mobilized to minister to them. And now you suddenly have Persians and Syrians and all sorts of other Muslim background people coming to faith in Christ. And so I don't know that there is just like a one size fits all, but it it certainly has to include the proclamation of the gospel uh, through an, an intense discipleship and the establishment of, of churches that are ministering in those contexts. I think one of the challenges is that we want to take the temperature of global movements, whatever you call them, the term church planting movements has a technical definition, and maybe that's something that we'll talk about later on. But we want to take the pulse of these things and try to reverse engineer that for success. And I think it's a lot more important to focus on what's the mandate that we've been given and leaving the rest to the sovereignty of God. Now, I take a more optimistic view of church history and the progress of the Great Commission, where it's sort of like the journey that you follow in your own progressive sanctification. You would imagine sort of a line graph. There's ups and there's downs and there's big ups and big downs. But overall, it's up and to the right even through all of those mountains and valleys, overall for a true believer, right? Your level of holiness is increasing gradually. And I would say it's the same as we look out throughout church history is that the gospel has gradually saturated the nations. But the important thing is not how do we reverse engineer something that can have the greatest impact, uh, but really what can we do that's most biblical and that follows the apostolic example. The apostolic example um, is proclamation of the gospel. It's the establishment of local churches with qualified leaders. And it's instilling a theology of, of suffering and of personal responsibility for the spread of the gospel into all of those disciples, teaching them that you know through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God so that each individual feels that they have a personal role to play in missional living. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, we like to, uh, and it's important to contextualize when we go into different contexts, especially in, in pioneering, right? Uh, establishing the gospel in a place where it hasn't gone before. Um, but the reality is, uh, while, while the practicality of crossing barriers might benefit from, from study and strategy, I mean, the Great Commission is, is what it is. The commissioning statements of Jesus are there uh, in the Gospels, and we have a, a charge and we have prescription uh, for what our churches are to be and to look like. And so... We can study it and reverse engineer it all day long, like you said, Alex, but we have a charge and we have commands. We have a promise, that even there with the Great Commission, Matthew 28, that, that Jesus will be with us. And so if we are putting our, if we're leaning on our own understanding, uh, maybe that's putting faith on, too much faith on ourselves and not on God accomplishing the mission that he already desires to accomplish. And if we say yes, and we're faithful to what he's commanded, we can watch him work, right? So true. Uh, I, I do think we have to remember that in, you know, in Acts 1, 8, 9, you know, it was like, uh, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you will be witnesses. And there's uh, a huge aspect of this that it, it has to be the working of the Holy Spirit. He's the one driving this. He's the one equipping this. This is why, while I think we follow Acts example of prayer and preparation, um, we, we recognize that 
the reason I think that that it looks different in different places and at even different times in history is because it is a working of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we see what he's doing. He defines the parameters of, of how we're supposed to view his work. But within that, um, one thing about Acts is you see they're constantly surprised at the way God fulfills his promises. He fulfills his promises, but not always in the way they're expecting. And I think that we have to have that same kind of holy dependence on the Lord and expectation that we plan, we make our schemes, we do what we think is is best. And I think the Lord's pleased with that, but also expecting the unexpected and that the Holy Spirit is is going to be the one to accomplish that through us. And that the Holy Spirit uses ordinary means of grace. He uses prayer. He uses preaching. He uses uh, proclamation of the gospel, which could be on a soapbox in the middle of a marketplace, or it, it more often is is over coffee, and it's sometimes one-on-one, and it's sometimes through months of relationship building and, and chronological Bible storytelling. There's all sorts of forms that that can take, uh, but those are the things that the Holy Spirit uses, and that's why, you know, you asked at the beginning, what is missions, and is it the same thing as evangelism? It's important to understand what missions isn't, and just because you cross cultures, just because you're operating in a new language, just because you're doing something humanitarian in nature doesn't mean that you're engaged in that great commission task. Central to it is proclaiming the person and work of Christ. And if we know anything about the Holy Spirit and how he operates, we know the fact that he's the most self-effacing member of the Trinity and that his entire ministry is to bring glory to the Father and to the Son. And so if it's our purpose to proclaim Christ, even as we're doing other things, medical ministry or or education, things that can play an important role, um, we have to be putting Christ at the center of all those things. I love how you said that. Um, hey, let's let's weigh into that a little bit. Then we we think about uh, missionaries and ordinary people, but you know the reality is missionaries are ordinary people who've been called <laughs> into missions. Yeah. But I think we have this idea uh, in in our culture of this call to missions. That's kind of this this mystical thing that happens. This mystical moment where where God speaks audibly to someone and suddenly it's obvious that they've been called. We picture, you know, something like Isaiah. Uh, what what is a call to missions? What's the reality of that? And who who is called to missions? Yeah, I mean, again, it, it can look differently. I'm not going to say that for everyone it's going to be the same, but I think generally some some components are there. There's a, a desire, um, and I, and I think while the passage isn't talking about missions, it's talking about elders and pastors. I mean, there is a, a personal element to it where you know, if anyone desires the office of a bishop, it's a good thing. Well, I'm not saying that missionaries and bishops are the same thing, but I do think we see that example of like, hey, there's a drive, something happening within me that desires this. Um, when someone says to me, I think maybe God's calling me into missions and I really want to go, but I just don't want to overstep. Like I would say, no, most people aren't feeling that compulsion. You should lean into that and figure it out. You know, so that, that's one side of it. I think gifting matters. Um, you know, people who are drawn to other cultures and building relationships and maybe have some, some, you know, spiritual gifting that they're seeing laid out in their local church is part of it. Opportunity is part of it. You know, there's, there's times when you're like, Hey, I'm my, you know, this is where my children are at in life. Well, the opportunity isn't there for you right now, you know, or, um, you know, I've got, you know, some debilitating issue that wouldn't let me go in this place. Well, that's pretty, that's a way God sometimes moves is using your opportunities and limiting them or opening them. Um, but I think a huge part of it is also uh, you have the, the authority and blessing of your local church. And uh, I think when those three things come together, opportunity and timing and gifting and desire, 
with the blessing and and sending of your local church, I think that would you know that that is a great way to start with talking about calling. And that could start with, hey, I was watching this video and movie and I was moved. But if the other parts aren't there, then I'd say, great, you were moved. Christians should be moved. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should go. Um, that's a I'd starting agree with place, that. One place that I keep going back to is, is Acts chapter 13, where you see the first missionaries called, if we want to say that. It's Paul and Barnabas, and the Holy Spirit speaks in the middle of this worship gathering of the pastors, elders, teachers, apostles that are there at the Church of Antioch. But he speaks to the church leadership. First, he says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. Oftentimes, and, and I'm in mobilization, uh, I, I see this happen. Usually, it, it seems anyway that, that God taps on the shoulder of the individual in the pew first, and then they have to figure out how to break the news to their pastor. But we see at least in the book of Acts that the order of that is reversed, and that it's the congregation and the leaders that God has appointed that are filled with the Spirit that are able to first recognize what God is doing and then challenge people to take a step in that direction. The other thing that I would say then is, given that definition that Scott gave, do we want to call that a calling? Or is that such a slippery term? Uh, I think one of the challenges of the term calling is that then we have to wait for it as though it's this mystical experience that everybody yeah. has to have. Yeah. A book that I would commend everybody to read would be Decision Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen, where he lays out essentially what Scott said, but basically comes to the conclusion that it's within the freedom that God gives us, within his sovereignty, to choose the best way to obey him. And what we have to realize then is come back to the parable of the talents where we've all been entrusted something. And for all of us uh, in the West, especially who are believers who have the gospel, who have access to theological education, who have access to funds and who have access to world travel, then it's contingent on us to recognize, all right, how can I take my two talents or my five talents and my 10 talents and use that for the sake of God's cause in the world, among the nations, outside of just my town, my community, my particular local church and family, although those things are certainly incredibly important. And however you invest yourself, it may be as a mobilizer, as someone who's not sent, uh, but someone who sends. That's the position that God has me in right now uh, until, until I have a sense of otherwise. But how are you going to invest your life? Everyone's either a goer or a sender, but it's not necessarily that mystical experience. It's recognizing the alignment of desire and opportunity and qualification and affirmation from others and need. Are you also needing a real need that exists or are you doing it for your own self-actualization? So I think we're all on the same page. And, and yeah. I, would, I would just give someone, there, there's this historical tension that people feel and depending on when you grew up and where you grew up and, the kind of churches you heard, you're, you're probably leaning one side of the tension or, or another. I can remember hearing these missionary heroes of mine, and I would say their work showed that they were called, if we want to use that word. They, they fought through difficult things, and they they would say to you, to young aspiring missionaries, you better have that calling, because in the middle yeah. of that time, you're going to be struggling with that. And so, But on the reverse side of that, then you've got young missionaries that are like, tough times are coming and they're like, I don't know if I'm called, I, you know, I don't even know what he's really talking about. I don't have that burning in my bosom anymore. And, uh, you know, it's funny that, that, uh, you know, Paul reminds Timothy of the gift that was given to him with the laying on of hands and saying, take, take encouragement with that. And I do think that that it could be a huge part of the, that calling that keeps you grounded in those tough times of saying, is that 
you didn't make this decision on your own, uh, that it was the Holy Spirit working through your church and that you came together and made this commitment. And so this is why I'm grounded. Um, And then I would also say to someone who's like, because I run into this a lot, and I'm sure I know Alex does too, where you've got, you know, people that are being moved to go and it, you know, they could be watching this podcast or they could go to CrossCon or they could listen, you know, do something else, reading a good missionary biography. And suddenly they're like, they go to their pastor and they're like, eh, you know, we're not really doing missions anymore. Like we're actually focusing just on Habitat for Humanity in our community. And you're like, well, you know, I would say that doesn't mean, I, I think, and Alex could push back. I don't think he would disagree with this. We've talked about this so much. Like just because your elders and pastors aren't like praying and fasting over the great commission and then calling you out, doesn't mean you still can't be an impetus in your local church to say, pastors, like, have you thought about this? And a lot of times pastors are just really busy. I'm one of them, you know, like I'm busy, I'm distracted. I'm thinking about today and tomorrow and Sunday. And this part of my life that is super important, I know is important, I'm not, I'm just not giving the attention to. And you could be the catalyst in your local church to get your leadership praying. And if they, I think if they don't care about it, you may want to pray seriously about whether you're in a church that is faithful. <laughs> yeah, completely agree with that. And I've, uh, I've, I've seen, we've all seen church contexts where missions gets de-emphasized as hard as maybe that is for some people to believe it, it really, really happens, especially in some of your big box attractional style of churches. And the best thing that we can do, I think in those situations, look, I don't like to personally advise people to leave a church. I don't necessarily want that on my conscience, but there are circumstances under which you have to leave a church. You have to weigh that out. If gospel preaching, church planting mission doesn't fall anywhere on the priority list, domestically or abroad, that's something serious to consider. Is that gospel being even preached within the walls of the church, much much less outside the walls of the church? Uh, But at the end of the day too, it's also coming to those pastors and elders missions pastor, deacons, whoever's responsible for the missions programs that may or may not exist, it's coming to them with a posture of service and saying, what can I do to help upbuild the church's missions efforts? Not just saying, I've decided that I'm called, would you financially partner with me? That's a later conversation to have. The first conversation is, here's what God's doing in my life. Can we pray together about it? What do you think about my character, my personal qualifications for ministry, the state of my family? Am I ready to go? And then also, how can I help us in the process of sending myself, others like us? And then you get to some of those conversations later, whether it's financial support, any other way that you'd want the church to tangibly partner with you. Sounds a lot like a like a healthy approach to discipleship. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. And so I think that should include uh, you know personal evangelism, right? And and so so let's let's take it back to to that side of it. Um, what about a calling to evangelism? How is that similar or different to a call to missions? And how can we uh, how can we spur our churches on to share the gospel locally? I'll defer to Scott as the pastor in the room, the man of the cloth. Man, that is a that is a hard thing for churches, and it shouldn't yeah. be. But I I feel it like it, this is something we're talking about a lot in our in our little church. And how do we equip people to evangelize? And then what kind of I mean? So I've got a young man in our church. He's passionate about evangelism. I he I, I think he's he's called. We we believe he's called. He believes he's called into missions. We're we're thinking about that and trying to help him prepare for that and and wondering what that might look like. And he loves evangelism, but but it, it's hard work for him. And right now his way of evangelizing is, you know, he goes out to different parks in our neighborhood and builds talks to people randomly, you know, and and that's going to be 
a hard thing for a lot of people. And and you know, and then as pastors, uh, I, I, I'm going to talk about someone else first, but like Bob Bixby, he's one of the pastors in our church. He he holds discussion groups in his in his backyard, and he's got a menu of things to talk about, everything from like personal discipline and relationships. They're very like non like evangelistic t- discussions. Um, and he gets a collection of believers and unbelievers together, and they start talking through these things, and it, it opens up doors to begin talking about this deeper truth behind it, which is how Christ holds it all together and why you need Christ in your life. And it's so you to- totally different perspectives. And as we were talking about this, like the, the big thing for me, at least is maybe I'm too pragmatic about this. Is like, I don't care what method you use, just use a method and just do something. And most yeah. of our Christians aren't talking to their strangers and they're not talking to their friends and they're not building relationships that are, that are going to the place of like some kind of gospel confrontation at some point where you're saying you need Christ. Will you accept him or reject him? And so, yeah, I, I think that throughout the new Testament, there is a call and a command for us to call people to follow Jesus. And I think it's going to be, a, there's a lot of different ways to do that, including in diverse places like Fort Worth and even York, Pennsylvania. Um, and it's certainly Fremont, which is super diverse. Uh, it's gonna take a lot of creativity because how I approach my my native Californian, very white, very Republican, uh, you know, guns everywhere. He owns a ranch. I mean, the typical stereotype of like old school California versus the Did other side of Texas my house. Or California just now. Well, think about 50 years ago. That's what California was out here. And, but then on the other side, I've got a Hindu married to a Chinese lady. You know, I've got uh, a Hindu family with a Syrian renter. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, it, I could go down my street. I've got Greek Orthodox neighbors across the street. You know, like I could go down the road with just mind-blowing diversity and combinations of diversity that just make your head spin. And so, you know, you've got to be nimble and you've got to be wise. You've got to know your place, which is something Alex and I are talking about later. And, uh, and, and think through, okay, how do I bring different parts of scripture to bear at certain times? And we have to just be always thinking about how do we train ourselves and train our people to be thinking this way about sharing the gospel. So I don't know if yeah. I even said anything, but Alex, you can clear. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, just two things to throw in. And, and first I'll be the first to confess that I fall incredibly short in this area. And I think we can all be transparent. I don't know if there's anyone among us who doesn't need to improve in the art and the discipline of personal evangelism. No, you're right. That being, yeah, that, but that being the case, um, I think it's two things. I, I don't know that presenting the gospel message is always the hardest thing. I think if a believer is part of a church that is centered on the gospel, where the gospel is regularly being rehearsed um, in every sermon, and it's, it, it's so accessible and understandable, that it, it, it can be woven into conversations. It, it, it's not going to take necessarily a, a five-part course for the average believer to figure out how to articulate it. That, that Them being able to articulate the gospel is the product of good discipleship. Uh, if you can't explain simply, well, hey, the, the gospel is Jesus died and rose and rules the world and saves anyone who trusts in him and here's how he changed my life and i challenge you to repent and believe the gospel if you can't somewhat quickly encapsulate that that's a discipleship deficit but the other thing is i think the real challenge is pre-evangelism and by pre-evangelism 
I mean, who are the people in your networks, in your neighborhood that you haven't even started that conversation with? One thing that I've found in years past, I used to be a lot more involved in evangelism throughout college and grad school and grad school and local community groups um, in Virginia where I was living at the time. And one thing that I found is that it was actually easier to start relationships that began with that evangelistic conversation and confrontation moment than it is to build up to a confrontation moment in some instances uh, because it starts off really awkward hey i'm here with a bunch of friends today and let me start talking to you about x y and z uh, but then when you see that person the next week and the next week hey so did you give it any more thought by the way how is your mom and sometimes conversations flew from that uh, that's just a tactic that's not necessarily right or wrong and the way that you approach it is going to depend on how much time and proximity you have with a person you may only see a person once or it may be an unbelieving family member that you have multiple conversations with and you have a lot of time to lay a foundation uh, and build upon it. Uh, just a few things to consider, but I'll confess I fall short in that area. Uh, but I think going back to your original question, that is part of the missionary qualification. If you're not doing this with some degree of self-discipline or fruit in your local context, then that makes the conversation of am I called to be a missionary very different. You got to be doing that work now in some sort of demonstrable way oh it's a huge complaint we get from our training department is like why are people coming to us to serve that have never shared the gospel with someone and have never discipled anyone and you're you, it's a very reasonable concern right like yep. what makes you think that getting on what they, what they call it, the 747 transformation yep. like getting on that 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 air that flying tube is somehow going to transform me into a dynamic evangelist it's not. And the novelty of saying, well, you know, they're different. It's easier for me to talk to them. It's going to wear off really fast. And the same insecurities and the same fears that you had in your neighborhood in you know, Texas are going to hit you in your neighborhood in Tanzania, given enough time. And so, um, you know, I, I think that we've got to do the hard work now of like, you know, challenging ourselves, seeing the fact that, yes, Christ commands us to call people to follow him. And then how we do it, some some of us are going to learn a lot better by trial and error uh, than we are just by like reading, you know, some really good books and thinking about it for a long time. Some of those resources can be can be useful, though. I'm I'm a big believer in 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 being prepared, but also yes. having having that heart motivation. You know, I think that uh, I mean Billy Graham would say his his keys to success his three keys to success were prayer, prayer, and prayer. And so if we're, if we're praying, if we're spending time with the Lord, his love for the lost is just going to overflow in us and, and our concern for them is going to grow too. So I love what you said about, um, yeah, your, your neighborhood and, and, the the benefit of, of caring about those people, right. And, and our care for them is going to grow as we pray for them and we got to yeah. trust the Lord to work. So we got to sow seeds and some of those resources are, are helpful to be able to, to learn how to do that easily. I think it definitely is a discipleship issue, Alex. And we need to we need to be uh, training our people how to share the gospel, but also why to, and how to do that with yeah. the Lord. But what what are some what are some resources maybe you would point people to who want to do better in evangelism? What, what's a good starting point? You know, this I, I grew up really in 
kind of hardcore fundamentalist, you know, background where like we went calling, you know, that was a thing we called evangelism every Thursday or Saturday morning and knocked on doors and, you know, do you want to go to heaven or hell? And it was quickly like, you know, I don't want to go to hell. Well, pray this prayer with me and you won't go to hell. You know, that was kind of the thing. Uh, but, I, and as much as I, you know, and I read all, you know, John R. Rice books and things like that about how to do this. And, uh, and you know, one of the, I look back at that and am kind of ashamed of some of that, but there's also part of it that I'm like, the difference is we were sharing the gospel a lot and I was thinking about it a lot versus, you know, the, I know people that don't, I've got, I know some of this is a real scenario in which they go calling, uh, but they don't even know their neighbor. And, uh, you know, and it's like, this is a huge problem. So, yeah. you know, I, I think there's some good resources out there. Uh, but I would say whatever tool is causing you to pray and to share the gospel is good, whether that's evangelism explosion, which is kind of out of favor now, but has motivated a lot of people to start sharing the gospel or, or, um, you know, there's some really good in-home discipleship group, you know, th- uh, materials and the name slipping my mind right now. You guys well, know, bring, bring some called, of them uh, up. Called uh, No Place Left. I don't know if that's what you're referring hmm. to. But it's not, home, but home I'm, that sounds great. Uh, I know AB, I'm, I would love to hear your resources. ABWE has resources that we use uh, through a part of a North American part of our ministry called Every Ethne that trains people like... You know, how to build relationships with Muslims and how oh, to start yeah, gospel conversation, good. how to host them in your home. Like, cause that's part of the freak out is like, mm-hmm. Oh no, Hindu families coming over. And all we know how to do is grill burgers. Uh, <laughs> we, I don't have any vegetarian dishes. And it's, and it's the, the, the thing I want to encourage people because we live in a super diverse place. I've had these moments, even now with all my mission experience and training and, multiple degrees you know and and where you know we've got a bunch of people i didn't know all their backgrounds and then i found out oh i've got a hindu and a muslim and you know just a a straight up california vegan and like and i've made bratwurst you know (laughs) like we got a problem you know uh, we're quickly i've got a brown thumb but we thought hey yes you know what better way than say hey let's cultivate this together and we can all eat this we accidentally served, served pork to Jews once. Uh, so we've made every mistake you can well make. Done. But I will, but I will, yeah, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> they, they, it was done enough. Uh, it, but I would say, I'm just saying that to encourage the listeners that are maybe freaking out, like, I don't know what to do. Like, one, like you will learn from the mistakes. If you smile and laugh and apologize and make try to make accommodations, it's, People love hospitality and they're so grateful that you're trying. We've never had anyone get mad at us for any of the mistakes we've made. In fact, I feel like the mistakes and our learning from that and our attempt to serve them is actually only endeared us to them. So like, you know, take a step, learn, take advantage of these good resources. I'd love to hear more about some of the resources you're offering. Uh, But those are the kinds of things, like how do you start those questions? What is offensive? Like, why do they take their shoes off when they go into their house? You know, should I cross my legs? Or is that saying something about, is that a prayer posture in Hindu? You know, those kind of questions that we just don't want to stumble into uh, are important. Um, But taking this up and just being curious is also something you can do without any coursework. Alex, I'm sure you've got some good resources that you could recommend. Well, the the one book that I've returned to multiple times 
Um, it's been a few years now, but Mark Dever has just a little book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. Yeah, and that would good. be one that I would put in the hand. And it's short. It's only, I don't even know. It's like 120 pages uh, in that ballpark. But that's one that a pastor or church leader could put in the hands of any of their congregants, really at any point in their spiritual walk or development or maturity. Um, I, I think the biggest thing, though, is is just praying for opportunities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Frankly, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm in a stage yeah. of life where, where opportunities are relatively few. I'm, I'm, I'm in a Christian workplace most of the day, and then I've got a newborn at home. And so there's not a lot of, and, and, and COVID, right? So everything's closed. Yeah. We're not going different places. Um, but there have been many times uh, through the years where I've prayed for an opportunity and then been sometimes unhappily surprised to be reminded, oh yes, God is going to answer that prayer very often. That's right. He answers that prayer and uh, you, you'll find yourself inconvenienced. I think the biggest challenge for me is just building in time to my schedule to be inconvenienced and a willingness to do that. Yeah, we, do, we do have some resources, Scott. Um, we've developed a storytelling with purpose uh, toolkit, an evangelism toolkit. Uh, it's some practical ways um, to help people share the story of the gospel, share their own story, their testimony in simple ways in different situations. Um, Alex, you said if, if disciples don't know how to share share the, the core of the gospel simply, uh, that this is a good toolkit that can help you do that, of course, uh, with the partnership of your church, um, being mentored, mentoring others. But it's really, it's, it's really focused on prayer as well. That's our starting point. Praying for people who you know, put their name on a list, pray for them, let them know you're praying for them, build that relationship, and come to that moment where you, you share the gospel with them. Uh, and we also are doing some interactive trainings online, um, also called E&E. Those are the E&E training workshops, and uh, I'll drop a link in the description here where you can register for that. And it's the same kind of thing, just talking through, here are some some practical tools, here are some methods, but also here's the why behind uh, personal evangelism. Uh, you practice, we can practice that, do a little role play in a, in a breakout group, and then uh, we, you know, you're charged to go and equip and enable other people in your church, in your faith community, to, to do the same thing. And so, uh, I'm just a, I'm a big believer in the 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 power of disciples working together, spurring each other on to do this. And yeah, we got to stumble through it. But Scott, like you said, the the best evangelism tool is the one that you're going to use. And so, I mean, really, it's the yeah. heartbeat behind it. Whether whether yeah. you you are driven to share the gospel and stumble through it or be afraid and not do it. Right. It's, it's, you know, I say to people, embrace the dissonance you feel in these situations. Like it is what a missionary feels. I, whether you're a homeschool mom thinking I'm going to put my kid in soccer for the first time to get to know the other parents in my community. I've watched this where they stand there and they're petrified because it seems like these moms all know each other from somewhere else and you don't know anything. Embrace that and say, this is part of what missionaries feel when they move to another country. And you kind of lean into that and go, okay, I'm going to just figure out what are the questions this community is asking? Um, That's what Paul was doing all the time. Like he would identify where, where are the question? What are the obvious questions that that group is asking? And then start with that place, and then quickly take them, you know, to the, the heart of the gospel, which doesn't change based on culture. Um, but the questions that people are asking do change, and so I, I think those are just some easy things we can start doing in our in our places, wherever those may be. Because uh, even if you are, you know, in York, Pennsylvania, and you look around and everyone's, you know, Mennonite background, you know, <laughs> there, and that's not true of York, but you know, like people imagine it to be that way. Um, 
you know, you still find that you have very different family structures, very different issues going on in people's homes, and you still have to lean into the awkwardness of people you don't know. I think, uh, so I'm a nerd, and so throughout my life I've, I've learned this, uh, but it applies to evangelism, missions, and in lots of areas of life. And that is, the, the best way to deal with awkwardness is just, just to take it head on. Bring it out of the light, address it, and then you sort of have a sense of control over the awkwardness because you just made it more awkward. But then the elephant in the room is addressed. And then, uh, you know, that's a, that's a cultural barrier we don't think of a lot of times. is just, just the awkwardness of we don't know what to expect. People don't typically just on purpose get to know and hang out with each other as much anymore in our neighborhoods. And so if you do that, it's going to be a little weird and people are going to wonder, what's your deal? What MLM are you trying to sell me on or whatever? Uh, are you part of some kind of a cult? Like, what is this? Just, just I think, addressing that, especially in a cross-cultural kind of context is, is hey, you know what? I, I want to be your friend and I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to cook a meal for you. Just lay it out there. And, uh, and I think that's going to build authenticity and trust uh, that you can that you can, uh, you know, that will be a great foundation for relationships where when you're able to have that gospel confrontation, you don't, you don't have to use some kind of a, kind of a bait and hook, you know, strategy to a uh, bait and switch strategy to kind of trick them into that conversation. It's just going to be natural. So well, and one of those I, things, we can talk for we're... hours on that, I think, but I, I want to plug your guys' podcast, uh, the missions podcast. Uh, if you like this conversation and this is helpful to you, man, I can't recommend the Missions Podcast highly enough. Uh, discussions about these topics and, and many others having to do just with church life, missions, evangelism, and just, just really cool uh, cool anecdotes, stories, encouragements. It's never from, been called cool, so that's great. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe it is. It's cool. Uh, I can't hi- recommend it highly enough. Um, so Thank you. It's real easy to find, y'all. It's called the oh, Missions, Missions Podcast. Podcast. That's right. Missionspodcast.com. We're in Apple Podcasts. We're in the Google Play Store. We're on YouTube. Um, audio versions mostly. We have a few video episodes floating around, though. We're on Spotify. Wherever you like to get your podcasts, go to missionspodcast.com. ABWE is the organization we're both a part of. You can go to abwe.org slash podcast. That's another way to find it. And there's a lot of other content there, too. Thanks so much for having us. It's really good yeah, to be absolutely. here. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Scott, how can, we, how can we connect with you online? You can come through the Michigan podcast. Alex and I, Alex usually gets somebody shares them with me, especially if it's nice things. Uh, but also, you can email me at uh, sdunford at abwe.org, and that's a good way to connect with me as well. I'm on, I, I'm kind of on Twitter. I'm mostly just there to irritate Alex. Uh, <laughs> and so, I, I'm, I'm this, if it wasn't for ABWE, I would be off of social media because I'm so annoyed. But, uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Scott W. Dunford, and, uh, and that's where I. I'm going to be somewhere as where it's going to be. All right. Th- thank you guys so much uh, for joining me. It was a really, really great conversation. And uh, I hope you all have a blessed day. Uh, go and share the gospel. Mm, thanks, brother. Thanks, brother.